Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. And those that we can't see online, you can see us. And uh, we are so delighted that we can join together in this way. Thankful for this opportunity. If you haven't been with us recently, uh, you may not know that we are in a series of messages called Heaven and Hell. And uh, the truth about the afterlife. What is it? God created us as, as beings with um, um, immortality. And we have this opportunity to live beyond this age. And so we're looking to Scripture uh, to help us understand that. Now this topic, you may think, well, the heaven part, this is really great. I'm all about that. Uh, what, what This hell thing, I'm not so crazy about that thing. And, and so it may be that people who, uh, who just don't really like the thought of hell, and then who, who of us does, after all, ask, answering some questions like, is it real, and why do people go there, and what happens? And some people really have an aversion to this, and so what they want to do is, is they want to just uh, eradicate the, the notion of hell, or make it some kind of mythical thing, or something like that. And uh, if it is real, then it, it's incumbent upon us to seek to understand what God has said about that. Um, critical is what God has said and what it means to us. Now, uh, it's interesting. Uh, we know that in terms of justice in our world, there is a, a, just a ton of injustice, things that don't get taken care of, things that, that slip by. And in fact, uh, since 19, uh, since uh, 2015 till now, there have been eight over 800 cases of criminal uh, uh, of a criminal nature, in, including manslaughter, that have never gone to to uh, to court. It's been dismissed because it it was taking too long to get there. It's interesting to see the things that are happening where there's corruption of evidence. Uh, where there's police mishandling, where there's lying, where there are procedural miscues that happen, where there's a lack of technology, or somebody has better, uh, can hire better lawyers and so seem to get off compared to people who don't have that. Well, there are all kinds of things, miscarriages of justice. But when we come to thinking about the justice of God in our world and in our lives, that's a different thing. When, when King Jesus sits on his throne of judgment, his, his judgments will always be fair and honest and truthful and accurate and unbiased and without prejudice and without favoritism. It'll be exhaustive. It'll be meticulous. The records will be kept of everything that happens, even every word that you say, even every thought that you have. And his judgments will always be right and true. And so, whereas that is kind of a helpful thing, at the same time, it's kind of daunting that every one of us are going to be called to stand before the throne of Jesus Christ and give account for their life and what they've done. That's what it says in Hebrews 9.27. People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Now, when we die, we go to stand before God's judgment. We'll either be accepted by him on the basis of his judgment or we will be condemned to hell and banished forever from his, uh, from his presence. When I was about 18 years of age, not about 18, I was 18, a friend and I went and traveled in Europe for two months. Uh, 
It's interesting. One of the things that we did when, before we went over there was we purchased a, a, a rail pass so that we could travel all of Europe. Now, we saw these, the, the, where we were in, the kind of cars they were, and the amenities they didn't have. We saw these first-class uh, places and, and cars. And so we thought, look it, let's just slip into there. So we, we would slip into there, and the guy would come to check the tickets. And he would look at our tickets, and he'd see these two scruffy guys, and uh, he said, no, you guys aren't allowed in here, out. And so we, we would take another train trip, and we thought, well, let's see again. Maybe they'll miss us. Maybe, you know, maybe we can get through on, on uh, the, the better class of travel. And so we'd do the same thing. And the guy would come, check our ticket, out, out. And, and so we realized that, you know, if you want to get in, you've got to have a ticket. You know, if you want to get to heaven, you have to have a ticket to get to heaven. And, and, and so we, we want to consider and, and ask this question today um, with respect to this. How do we get a ticket to heaven? How do we end up making heaven our destination and not hell? And so we want to probe that question this morning. We want to know what it will take for us to be eternally present with God in, in a beautiful place that he will keep for us. And, and so what we want to do is we want to discuss what the Bible says about the judgment and how we get where we get to. And uh, the first point I want to, show, to say to you is this. God will judge everyone on the basis of their deeds or actions. God will judge everyone every one of us, based on our deeds and our actions. So here we are in this. Let me, I, want, I, I, I want you to understand the, the severity and the reality of this when we listen to Holy Scripture. Uh, here is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive what is due him or her for the things done well in the body whether good or bad. All of us are going to be judged on what we did in our life, in our body, and, um, and whether it's good or bad. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, we read this, And God will give to each person according to what he or she has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger based upon how we've lived our life, what we've done. Let's go to John. Here's Jesus. For though, he's talking about those who will be resurrected. The ones who will be resurrected there are those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Um, here we have it again. Here's Jesus talking about what it is uh, that he's looking for. He says, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done, the life they've lived, what they, what they ha have uh, done in that way. Matthew 25, and I'm not going to take time to read it. I would encourage you to read this, but 
Jesus comes and he comes to judge in this parable. And he talks about separating the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are his people and he puts them on his right hand. And the goats are not his people and he puts them on the, right, the left hand and, and he separates between these two. And he judges them. But I want you to hear the basis on which he judges them. He judges them on this. The sheep and the, and the goats are judged on the basis of how they cared for the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those without proper clothing, the sick, those in prison. That's what he's going to judge. And, and um, he, he says to the sheep, he said, come, come to the inheritance that I have for you. And they said, but Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or all of these things? Oh, he said, if you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Come. And then he turns to those who were the goats, separated, apparently not his people. And they ask the same question. You know, when, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or naked or without clothes or sick or in prison? And he said, you, if you did it to the least of them, you would have done it to me, but you didn't do it. And so they're condemned to hell. Um, just a couple more here. Um, Revelation 20. Here is the great white throne judgment where the final judgment of everyone and all of the angels and demons and people who have, have not uh, followed Jesus Christ. And he says this, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Remember we talked the other week about everything we have done, God has recorded in books. Um, and, and the sea gave up its dead and that were in it, and, and Haiti, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person, every individual person, was judged, ready, according to what he or she has done. Revelation 22, I'm coming soon, Jesus says. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he or she has done. Well, this makes sense, doesn't it? Isn't this how we operate? Isn't this what we do with our kids? When they're good, they get a treat. When they're bad, they have to do a timeout, or there's some punishment for them, something like that. Um, this is... Uh, this is, uh, our kids not only know that, but we know that. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, right? Isn't, isn't that, doesn't that make sense? I, and that, that seems to be going along with everything that we've said, all of these scriptures this day. I mean, even Santa knows the difference between the naughty and the nice. The nice get the presents, the naughty, mm, lump of coal. Um, so here we are in grade school. Um, if, you, if you're behaving that good behavior will be rewarded. But if you're, if you're being bad in school, you get disciplined for it. Now, here's the trouble with all of this. this, this we live in a world that is really, really messed up. Um, how, how, a question comes like, how good do you have to be for God to accept you? I mean, he's going to judge us on the basis of what we've done. Ooh, I don't know whether I like that. Because I know, although I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I know there are things that I'm ashamed of, things that I've done in the past. And, and, and so 
what does he do? How good do I have to be? Am I good enough or do I need to be better? Or does he take our good and our bad and weigh them on the scale? And if the good is, is uh, more prevalent than the bad, then he would accept us? Uh, what is it? This can be really distressing for us. If he's going to measure us and judge us on the basis of all the things that we've done, and he's got everything, he's got the total book on us. That can be distressing and put us into absolute despair. We have a, demo, a, a dilemma here. If God will judge us on the basis of our deeds and our works and our life, then, well, then all of us will be condemned if we're judged by our deeds. All of us are in trouble. All of us have blown it. Uh, and let me just give you a few scriptures um, from Romans 3, it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and they've all together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. What terrible news. He's going to judge us on the basis of what we can, we've done. And here, what we find out is there's nothing that we've done that would uh, would, would uh, uh, grant his favor to us on the basis of that. That is a frightening indictment. Uh, listen to what it says later in this chapter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has violated the will of God, the desire of God, what he's all about, what he demands from us. And, and we continually fall short of the glory of God. It's not like a little oops here. It's not like a boo-boo here. It's just like we're continually not living. We're falling short of God's standard uh, for us. In James chapter 2, he says this, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, he's guilty of breaking it all. It's a system. It's a law system. And, and if you break the law once, you're a lawbreaker. That's the problem that we find ourselves in. What we need is righteousness. What we don't have is righteousness. We stand before God without the thing that he needs us to have for him to be able to uh, uh, accept us. In Isaiah 64, it says to him, you know, when we think of presenting all our good stuff to God to really impress him, he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, I, I don't mean to offend you, uh, forgive the imagery, but when he talks about filthy rags, he's talking about menstrual cloths. And, and he's saying, everything that you present to me as your best just falls so far short of the whole thing. And so in Romans 3, we read this. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. <laughs> when, when you go to defend yourself before God about how, what a wonderful person you are and all the things you've done, he, he says this, you'll be silenced. You'll, you'll be terrible. You, you won't make it. And, and uh, he goes on and he says, therefore, uh, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law rather than through the law we become conscious of sin. When we start and find out what God wants of us, we go, oh, I didn't know it was that bad. 
And, and, and so let me just think with you, uh, when we think about what it is to be good in terms of God's thing, what, what that looks like, I probably most of us who have any understanding of this would think, well, the, the uh, Ten Commandments would be a good place to think about this, about who, who's good and who's not. Um, who perfectly keeps the Ten Commandments? Uh, how about the First Commandment? How about the First Commandment? You'll have no other gods before or instead of me. So I, am I going to state that for my whole life, all I've done is put God number one in my life. It's his desires. It's allegiance to him. It's what he wants. It's not about me. It's not about... It's God. I mean, all of us go, ooh, that's, that's not a good one. Um, we, we can go uh, beyond that to some other things uh, that, that may be easier. How about murder and adultery? Hey, clean, never committed adultery, never murdered anybody, thought about it once or twice. No, <laughs> but uh, oh, murder. Jesus said, well, let me help you understanding this. If you have really hated somebody, you, you have the murderous part in you. If you've never committed adultery, but you've lusted for someone else's wife or husband or, or person, uh, you, you're sorry, eh, you fail. How about this one, the, the last one? <laughs> Don't covet. Don't covet any, anything your neighbor has. So, so which one of us can stand before him? We're in despair. We're in an impossible time in an impossible dilemma we're without hope in all of this and so what what i want to say from this though is even though we're judged by the works listen we're saved by faith see that's the part we didn't get we're judged by our works but we can't be saved by our works even though we're judged by our works we're saved by faith here's a, a scripture that was read for us this morning for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. You know, if you're saved, if God has rescued you, the only reason you are is because of his grace, of his goodness to you that you don't deserve and I don't deserve. His grace that, that he lavished on us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And, he's, and it's not only through grace, his whole initiative and what he's done. It's also by faith. It's by believing. It's by trusting him. It's by, it's by uh, putting our full confidence in Jesus. He says this, it's not from yourselves. You can't do it yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So here we got trouble. We don't have the deeds. We, don't, we haven't done all the good things we should do. It was so far in a hole in that way. But, but God looked at us and pitied us and he reached out in grace and, and through our faith, through our putting our trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, he will save us. And it's a gift. You know, if you come to give me a gift, I don't take out my wallet and say, hey, whoa, whoa, let, let, me, let me pay for that gift. It wouldn't be a gift if that were the case. It's what God did for us. It's not by works so that no one can boast. What we just sang about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, what, believes in him, whoever puts their trust in him, who, whoever are counting on Jesus and Jesus alone shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a ticket. 
That's the ticket for us. Um, the, uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas were thrown into prison in Philippi. And while they were in there, they'd been beaten senseless. They were bloodied. They're in, in, they're in stocks. And, and, and God comes and releases them in, in the night. And the night uh, jailer, when he looks and sees the, the, the doors are open, he's going to kill himself because they're going to kill him anyway. If you, if you had... Uh, prisoners under your care, and they got out, they escaped, you die. Uh, that's, I, I'm glad we don't have that in our manual here at, at Unionville Alliance. But uh, he takes them home and cares for their wounds and gives them something to eat, and this guy is just distraught. They had to stop him from killing himself. And, and um, he, he brings them out, and he says this to them. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, uh, and you will be saved, you and your household. What was it? <laughs> what did he have to do? What was his ticket to be saved? It was that he would put his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Listen to what it says in Galatians 2, 21. This, to me, this is a powerful verse. I do not set aside the grace of God, Paul says, for if righteousness could be gained by the law, Christ died for nothing. The biggest tragedy, the greatest tragedy of, of justice that we could imagine is this. The Jesus left heaven he came to earth. He became a human being. He lived for 30-some years. He lived a perfect life. He cared for others. He was, a, he was uh, uh, beaten and, and abused and put on a cross and died for our sin. Now, if he did all that, and there could have been another way. There was another way. You could have done it for yourself. Oh, the worst justice, miscarriage of justice you can imagine. He died for nothing. But he didn't die for nothing. He died because he was the only way that we could come uh, to be forgiven and accepted by him. And, uh, and so what we find then is this. Deeds are the necessary evidence of salvation. We're not, they don't save us. They're the necessary evidence that we are saved. They have a special place in that way. It's not as though we put our trust in Jesus and, and we say, well, he's forgiven us all of our sins and he'll take us to heaven, uh, but the life we lead are really inconsequential. It doesn't matter what we do because, you know, we've got the, we prayed the prayer and, and we're, we're good to go. Um, it, and it doesn't matter if we're self-centered and immoral and, and we're hurtful and unforgiving and deceitful and stealing and abusive and all that. It doesn't matter because we, we got the fire insurance policy from Jesus. We prayed a prayer one day. And, and that's not how it goes. We're not saved by just the accepting, uh, being accepted by God on the basis of works. They are the outworking of a new life that God calls us into. Well, here's what he says, again, going back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, here's the corollary. 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is he saying? He's saying we're not saved by good works. The good works are the outworking of the new life of, uh, in, in Christ that we have. Uh, he, he prepared those in advance for us to do. And, and if you show me a person who doesn't care about how they live because they think that God, they prayed a prayer at some point and that was it, it didn't matter from there, you've missed the whole point of this all. In fact, here's what it says in Matthew chapter 7. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from a thorn, for thorn bushes uh, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. Uh, and uh, thrown into the fire. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. So he's saying it's important the life we live will reflect the reality of our faith, the veracity of it. Is it true? Is it accepted? Well, we've got a problem uh, here kind of in the, in the New Testament, and it's, it's difficult because Paul has just said, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not works. Now, James wanted to weigh in on this, and so here's what James says. He says, in essence, we're justified, we, we get our ticket to heaven, we're, we're made righteous on the basis of our deeds. And we're going, whoa, whoa, we, we just came through a whole thing, we said that's not the case. Well, listen to James 2. 14. We want to reconcile these two. Paul says justification by grace through faith. James says you're justified by your deeds. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a, a, a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Does he have the, save, the kind of faith that will save him if that's his experience? But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. You show me your faith without your deeds, and I'll show you my faith with what I do. And he goes on to say, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not, on, uh, not, and not by faith alone. Now, we say, well, look, there's just one of those examples in the Bible that drive us crazy because it's doublespeak. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is true. Which is right. They're both right because they're both speaking to different um, uh, elements of this. A true believers ev evidence their faith by the life that they live, by the fruit. By the fruit, you'll know them. And so if you see a person and, and his or her life doesn't reflect what God's desire is at all, then, then it leaves us with a big question if that person is really, truly a believer. Now, I'm not in God's place. I can't say that. But, but that's what we have to ask ourselves. True believers evidence a transformation in their life. We spent the whole fall talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Uh, grow up was our theme, because God wants us to grow up. He wants us to, to mature in our faith. And, and uh, he wants us to have a life that bears witness to the genuineness of our faith that grows in the likeness of Jesus, that obeys the word of God, 
and someone who is growing in character and knowledge and discernment. And, and it's, this is time for sober reflection. Is this, is this the kind of person I am? Or I'm a person who's Christian in name only and have nothing to do with, with being progressing in my faith. And, uh, or is Jesus really shown that he's come into our lives because he's renovated our lives totally? Well, this is what God wants of us. He wants us to be saved by faith and show the reality of that. And, and so what, what's, what's up this, with, with this? How do we get into heaven? How do we spend eternity with God? How do we make sure that we've got the right ticket, that they don't throw us, you're in the wrong place, buddy, out? Um, our entrance into heaven has been provided exclusively through the sinless life of Jesus he came and lived an absolutely perfect life. What we didn't do, what we couldn't do, he did. He came as a human being, so he understands what we go through. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet not and, and without sin. So, so we, it's provided through the sinless life of Jesus, trusting in his death on the cross, his victory over death and resurrection, and as being sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin, that he could accept us in our sin. And, and it was verified by a life that is becoming increasingly more and more like Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's, that's what you need to know. See, if there was any question, if there was any question that you needed to have the right answer to of all the questions of life, this is the question. This is the one. See, if you don't get this right, you're, you're done for eternity in terms of God. You can't, you can't miss this. And so this issue is so important. And so my question is, how do I respond to this? How is it that I, I respond? Well, the first thing I, I would, would call us to do is I would call us to examine our lives before God. Examine our faith. Examine to see if it's real or genuine. Look what the Apostle Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 13. He said this, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Don't, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Well, unless, of course, you fail the test. Would you pass the test? When, if you were to stand before God between heaven and earth and he asked you, why should I let you in? Because <sighs> I've done the best I could is not going to work. That I did righteous things is not going to work. And over and over we see that in the scripture. Rather, it's I've put my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done for me. Examine yourself. Take some quiet time and really ask the question, is that me? And let me ask you this question also. Are you sure of your faith? Do you know that God wants you to be sure? He doesn't want you to go through life wondering, you know, like, like a daisy. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. He wants us to have the security and the assurance of his love, of being his children, 
And, and we have that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. Jesus alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. That's what we're putting our, our stock in. That's what we're, we're counting on. And um, this is simple. You may, you may come to the conclusion, you know, I'm, I, I came in here today and I really understood. I know I'm not a Christian. And, and if you say that, I would, I would encourage you and plead with you to open your heart to Christ while there's time. That you, you might reach out in, in the midst of your distressing uh, and, and the despair of the place you're in right now, yet to, to recognize that there is a God who loves you, who gave his only son, and that you can know that you're a follower of Christ by taking that first step and putting your full confidence in him. You understand how critical this is, and, and uh, I want to just encourage you in that. Um, and, and if you want some help, you want to talk through some of these issues, uh, one of our staff would be happy to talk with you. And, and if you just go to uachome.org, uh, 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 info at uachome.org, Somebody will get in touch with you, and we would be delighted to have a chat with you and talk about what, what God uh, has provided for you and how you can take that first step. But you know, you can do that right now by confessing that you're a sinner, that you've blown it, that you, you're hopeless. You recognize, though, that God loved you and he did the most incredible thing for you when he gave his son to die. Uh, on, on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And you can say to him, I recognize I'm a sinner. I come to you and I put my faith in Jesus. I put my trust in him and what he's done. And, and I, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and help me as I begin this new life. If you pray something to that effect, I want to tell you, and you mean it with all of the sincerity of your heart, then I want you to know that you've stepped from death to life. Listen, listen how beautiful this is in, in John chapter 5. Here's what, uh, here's what the Lord says. Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That can be your experience right now if you would pray that prayer and mean it with all your heart. And let me ask, and let me also say that if you do that, would you contact us? We would love to rejoice with you and, and, and help you as you launch into this new life of following Jesus Christ. Well, you may be not sure, and if you're not sure, uh, as I said before, please contact us. We'd be happy to talk about if you're, if you're really a believer or not, you may have some questions. We can help you walk through that. But, but be assured that God wants you to know. Listen to what it says in 1 John uh, chapter 5 and verse 13. I write these things, John says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, listen to this, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't want you to go through life wondering. I want you to go through that with that rock-solid uh, assurance that you are a child of God. And uh, also, what I think this means for us is we need to cooperate with God as he's seeking to renovate our lives and to make us more like Jesus. Uh, he, he wants us 
to find strength in him, in, in, in courage in him, in challenging times, knowing that we have a, a rock-solid future. And, and so he will, he will help us through those difficult times as well. And, and, and lastly, I just want to say this to you. Share the good news, your faith, with other people. Someone cared enough about you to get out of their comfort zone, maybe, to talk to you, to give you a book, to invite you to come to church, uh, to come to an alpha course or something like that. I want, you, I want you to think of what somebody did to help you come to faith in Christ. And if this is as important as it is, then, then how could we not share this good news with those we love? And, and I know it can be daunting, and I know it can be... Uh, we can be afraid and, and, and timid about it, but how, how do we take something that is so serious and so important as this and not share it with somebody else? And so I, I want to just encourage you to do that. Someone helped you. Somebody helped you find hope in Christ. God wants you to do the same thing for someone else. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you and we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. We know, Lord, that we have no standing before you outside of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us to understand the, the severity and, and the, just the importance and, and the so, sober notion of, of being right to stand before you. Father, I pray that you would Apply these truths that we've talked about to uh, each person who's under the sound of my voice for what they need and where they're at. May they examine themselves and may they find themselves to be in a right place with God. And so I pray and ask that you would help us as we follow you, help us as we try and share the good news with others as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.